Hello, friends. Welcome to the trailer for The Road Taken with CT and Bayo. I'm Bayo. And I'm CT. We've embarked on a massive world tour and are excited to experience all the thrills and boredom that entails. To help us process our own experiences along the way, we'll be having conversations with peers, idols, and maybe a rando or two. The Road Taken with CT and Bayo, part of the Ringer Podcast Network on all podcast platforms. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he always thanks me for the chicken. It's Andy Greenwald! Only if the chicken is, you know, dry or at a normal, kind of a normal uh, fluidity. That chicken last night on the succession finale looked like pheasant to me. Do you think it was a pheasant? I had or a, a partridge? Okay, so let, let's, we're going to talk a little succession, right, buddy? Because that's, that's the only show that has the belt right now. It's the best show, and that was an amazing finale. But I think if we had Jesse It has Armstrong, the belt until, the way, until Jack Ryan season two comes on. Yes, that's correct. Well, uh, yeah, it's just holding it for, for Jack. <laughs> um, I, if we had Jesse Armstrong back on the show, and by the way, I think we should try to have Jesse Armstrong back on the show. Um, I would ask him specifically about this, because I feel like... He or some of the other geniuses in his room probably researched into what old media barons like to eat, you know, to keep sure. their, their themselves in fighting shape. Because when he sat down next to him at first, my assumption was that it was going to be some sort of local seafood, right? Because there's some, there's some uh, cephalopod humor with Stewie yes. at a different point in the episode. Very much. So I thought maybe he was having some fresh Greek spot prawns or something. But no, it was like the it was like the diet plate at Hugo's on Santa Monica, right? It was like steamed chicken on lettuce. Yeah, which, yeah. Well, he, he's watching his he's watching his cholesterol probably. He's probably watching his cholesterol. I mean, it's also possible that the very rich have terrible taste, and maybe it was just a low key comment on that. I don't know. I don't know. But I guess what I'm saying is, I feel like the chefs on the Waystar Royco yacht have been listening to this podcast, and they like they like their chicken to get wet. Um, that's, that's entirely possible that the pollo is, is dripping, but let's talk a little bit about, uh, we're going to talk about succession. I also want to hear your thoughts about El Camino. Me and Sean did a pod on Friday yes. where we went very in depth into our, our feelings about that movie, but sex succession is the more urgent thing. And then obviously at the second half of the podcast will be the audio for me and Jason's, uh, after show number one boys, which we recorded this morning. Um, so we have like lots of succession to get through, but I want to hear how you, how you felt about the episode, obviously, and then the season in general. Again, I just take such enormous pleasure in a show that really understands its own strengths and takes the time to consider those strengths and then articulate them in the most entertaining way possible. And what I mean specifically is, I think I talked about this before when I was talking about the way they craft a season of succession and you know, of course, through the filter of my own recent experiences. And I think that there is an urge often to pick up action immediately, right? Like that was a very dramatic episode in DC with testifying and what's going to happen and what does it mean? And we felt this proxy battle looming. So it did feel as if it was the penultimate episode in a temporal sense, right? That we were maybe going to pick up right afterwards and things are going to sneak out of the What's going to happen? I love that that's not the case. I love that immediately we're just at the harbor getting on this yacht that Marsha, RIP or wherever she may be, uh, refitted and you have to take your shoes off of. Yes. And that it allowed the show to once again set the stage. And it is so theatrical. Um, to shout out to Connor Roy's finances, um, the way that presents the information, but that it gave us another delightful, elaborate set for the, for the final act of the season-long play. You know, it was such a smart pause. It's such a confident move to do that. And it was delicious. I saw someone talking about how it was like an Agatha Christie novel in the sense that everyone was stabbing each other except they're yeah, all stabbing each other. It was where the front. murder is taking place right in front of you rather than in the secret yeah. passageway or something. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing to see this happen so quickly with a show, to be this confident, to know itself this well, and to see that the things that, like, if, if the season had ended last week, um, I think that we would have probably spent some time today, or, or I guess it would have been last week, talking about just the, the brilliant deployment of Roman Roy over the course of the season, how remarkably 
textured Kieran Culkin's performance is, considering he just, you know, could just take all the best lines and just gunk on everyone else with them over the course of an episode. But the little shreds of sadness and humanity and fallibility that is just, you know, being brought to the fore over the course of the season, it would have been enough. But the fact that they knew, and again, I assume they wrote the scripts in advance, so they had confidence that they could pull this off, is that they knew that they could have built this character through these experiences, through his nearly getting shot last week, to this moment of him saying, could we maybe talk to each other like people? Yeah. <laughs> and feel the pathos of it. Believe when he's clearly put in line to maybe be the next one, which people have been predicting all season just by playing the numbers game, that we could all sort of laugh, but also nod, that that's starting to make sense. It's just so artful, you know, and I just, I just really admire the planning, which is ironic considering this entire show is called Succession and the star of it, Logan Roy, has done a terrible, terrible job of planning. Yeah, I mean, the ultimate tension in, in the sort of presentation of the show is time allotted for that kind of incredibly relentless Veep-ish uh, banter, burn, insult, Dialogue, joke layered on joke layered on joke, uh, setting up scenes for abject humiliation of its characters, and then pulling out, also pulling off also this incredibly elegant and heartfelt in places family drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and Veep really only did that, I thought, intermittently over the course of its run, where Succession tries to do that almost every episode, where there is some sort of. Mm-hmm the last 15 minutes usually are saved for something really significant to happen to the characters. And often Kendall has been the load bearing part of that. Kendall has often had to um, handle a lot of the, or the Jeremy Strong, Strong's performances had to ha- handle a lot of what this all will do to a person's psyche over the course of time. Mm-hmm. I found myself at certain points this season feeling like the, starting point for people's personalities in the episodes were a little arbitrary. Uh, not necessarily mm-hmm. unearned or or wrong or incoherent or anything like that, but, you know, a little bit sometimes hard to track, say, where Shiv was. You know what I mean? Or where mm-hmm. Shiv and Tom's relationship was. Or, frankly, whether or not Kendall's using and who he's dating and why he's not dating one person or is dating another person and how he's behaving. So if I had any, it's not even a critique. It's just really an observation that that is something that I thought as, as they expanded their purview, because last season was essentially Kendall versus the rest of the family and following Kendall on this journey all the way through the wedding. This obviously this season was a little bit more focused on Roman and Shiv. And because of that, I think sometimes I lost like, kind of like where North was in certain episodes. That's mm-hmm. that's like my only kind of note that I would sound about it. I think that's a very legitimate note that I don't disagree with, but I would say the thing that counteracted that for me, made it not necessarily a net negative, is that the actors, and again, when I say the actors know, it's because the producers and writers know, but the actors know where their characters are. And it's again, it's this, it's this really remarkable to me kind of poker game and I say this as someone who doesn't really understand poker, so bear with me. But I believe sometimes you know you have to know when to hold them, and I believe yes, yeah. The converse is that sometimes you know when to fold them. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's at least what I learned from rounders. Yes, or, or, or at least show your cards. And so the tension always in serialized television, right, is what story that you're building versus story that you're going to give and show and 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 play, right? Because who knows how much time you have. And Think about a character like Tom and his face on the wedding night in the season finale last year when she, when she suggests this open relationship and the emotional wallop of that scene and how much is being carried by his um, performance. And then you build it over the course of a season for this scene between the two of them, which is just a master class in performance. And when he says, you know, he doesn't, he's not a hippie. He doesn't want this. And she said it to him on his wedding night. And her response is, oh, you've been stewing on it for, I mean, in our world, a year. And he says, yes, I have. And you realize, yes, he has. Matthew McFadden has absolutely been uh, thinking of that moment emotionally in every performance, every, every part of the performance he's given this year. And it's so beautifully deployed in that moment. Similarly with someone like Siobhan, who, you know, gets a lot of the more humanist notes because in some ways, in some ways, I think people thought that the cousin Greg was us in terms of like the the voice of the audience or the you know the, the point of view character coming into the family. But increasingly, it felt more like Shiv because at least Shiv's liberal politics and media savvy are aligned with 
Succession's biggest and most ardent fans and podcasters. Mm. But she's never just entirely that. And I think about her performance, which is so brilliant when she withstands the hit of, of Tom's comment about being a little bit less sad if he wasn't with her. But also her face, equally brilliant, equally subtle, when Tom says maybe he would just watch her and the other woman. Yeah. And that would be his role. Or maybe we reason. could be together and, and you like, could go in the bath she could go in the bathroom. But her face where she was like, Well fuck yeah, that sounds great. Because I don't know if that means she's a killer, but it does mean her appetites are ravenous and there's no there's nothing wrong with that. But that is something that is part of her family and you know, something that makes her part of that larger clan as opposed to someone like Tom or maybe like like cousin Greg. And so their compasses are so attuned to all the all the different aspects of the characters that it's dazzling to watch, and it keeps the, I, for me anyway as an audience member, it keeps me centered in it. Even though, like, I'm still thinking about five episodes ago where Tom says to Shiv, "How was London?" But I think that was the episode before they met their mother. Yeah, I, I, I you know, they're always coming from somewhere. Yes. And it's a little bit confusing at times. Um, then and, and then we find out, obviously, at least in the Logan definition of the term, that Shiv is not a killer because she, at the last second asks for a reprieve on Tom. Uh, yeah. And in in the end, sort of, I think Roman cutting out Laird and Kendall cutting out his father actually sort of accrue more points in some ways in, in Logan's ledger than Shiv does. You, you could make that argument, I bet. I guess the question that I've been ha- asking different coworkers today, and we talked about it a lot on Number One Boys, is do you think Shiv has an awareness of Ken- what Kendall was going to do? I don't know. I mean, I think the thing that I find so compelling about this show and about the characters is, the, is of course, you know, what makes the show, this, this sounds a little bit reductive when I say it, but it's the family aspect of it, right? They are awful to each other. They hate and resent each other, but they also know each other, which is what makes it so intolerable. They're always squeezed into the sitting rooms of yachts together. So none of, all of them were keenly aware of what uh, Roman was asking for when he asked for some kindness and they reacted the only way they know how. They also all completely knew to an almost excruciating degree what what, what Logan's you know blood sacrifice meant to Kendall right. when he re-entered the room. Logan had obviously said so, that to Shiv at some point at the end of last episode or in and right. around that where she he had clearly made it clear that he had made it clear that Kendall was going to be the blood sacrifice. But it was so awful for them to even with to with to to see it. That, that they had to look away because they truly, they truly knew. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, the thing that's fascinating to see is what do they really think of Kendall? Do they think of him as like pathetic, like a, like a, like a wounded animal or something that they want to put out of his misery? Or were they always on some level impressed or intimidated by him and the drugs, the drug use and everything was almost self-sabotage that allowed them to get the leg up on him in the race. And this is a version of him that they knew from childhood. I don't know. So much of it is in Brian Cox's face in his performance at the end. I think there's something going on between Shiv and Kendall, whether it's just an, uh, like you said, that human understanding that they have of one another. But there's something that was sort of seeded in in Safe Room that is alluded to a little bit when they're coming back uh, from London in the return. And I, I, I get the feeling like, the camera is so jittery on this show. There's so much, you know, mise en mm-hmm. like, you know, stuff happening where like a handheld will just catch a moment. Mm-hmm. In fact, the only really knowingly staged shot of the season, if I remember correctly, I, I would have to go back and rewatch the season, but I'm pretty sure the tracking shot that goes across the deck of the boat to Kendall listening to his headphones, that is Shiv's perspective yeah. as she walks up to him, is the only um, totally steady shot. I don't know, you know whether it was on a dolly or whether it was on steady cam, but for the most part, Succession is shot handheld. It's supposed to be sort of capturing this stuff as it's happening. There's a lot of improv, obviously. But that moment where we don't actually get to hear anything that Shiv says to Kendall and he just sort of acknowledges, he seems to know what is being asked of him the entire day. Yep. I felt Mm -hmm. like that was a sign or a signal that something was transpiring between Shiv and Kendall. I'm not trying to turn Succession into my crazy theory that explains all of Succession. I'm just saying, like, there's something... There's a layer there that mm-hmm. I don't think that they acknowledged over the course. And they didn't do it because I think they were setting up some conversations for season three. Well, sure. And, you know, it, it, it depends what you're watching the show for. Um, maybe it always 
that always is part of the of the equation. But the scene where they hug, uh, and I don't remember which episode yeah, that was. That's one of the more significant moments of the season. Oh fuck yeah! It is the moment of the season. If the, if I if if what I think is happening is happening, that Shiv essentially was going along with this idea that Kendall needed to be sacrificed with the idea that when that happened, Kendall would pull the pull the rug out from Logan, then that moment in Safe Room is the genesis of that. Right. I Just to be clear, this is me asking as someone who watched it right before bed last night, the, the evidence he has is the stuff Greg didn't burn, right? Yes. Now, I mean... So Greg is in on this? And Greg, and then that would necessarily, like, you can tie that to Kendall being particularly kind to Greg over the course of the season. Tom sort of telling Shiv a little bit about his connection to cruises. I mean, if you want to get mm-hmm. deep into the plot, like you can kind of put, put all the pieces together there. I, I the thing that's great about this show is you don't have to, they it all will be Dang. revealed in time. Amen. And there is enough pleasure in just watching these people interact. Um, that, you know, you, you don't need to be like a, a, a fucking yellow King super nerd person on Reddit trying to figure out what, what's going to happen next. And let me just say also, if I'm suggesting interviews, I would really love to interview the production designer of the show and the business affairs person at HBO who greenlights all of it. <laughs> because I, yeah, what you hear in my voice is just abject jealousy, but also incredulity. I, I, am, I look at this show and where it shoots and how it shoots and who it shoots with the same way that uh, Ron Burgundy looked at his dog Baxter after he ate a wheel of cheese. It's just like, I just can't believe that you did that. You know, and I, I, the numbers work for them somehow, or that people moving around. But like, usually I'm watching things now, looking for cheats, and they must have many cheats that I'm not picking up on, right? But I'm like, well, they must have filmed this in, you know, New York Harbor yeah. or something, yeah, or yeah. like somewhere on the Hudson River, and the dummy plate shots for Noxos in the background. But I don't think they did. So, so. Our, our man Stewie, whom we love as a as an actor and as a character, who had a you know a, a, an unfortunately more reduced role this season, but I feel like he'll be back in with a bigger hand to play next year. Um, did he just get on a flight for the one scene? Like, tell me all about this. You know, He's tell in, me the details of how they uh, filmed this. Did they actually film back and forth between? Ari Moyet is in is in three Europe? scenes this season. He's in the first yeah. episode where he's like, fuck you to Kendall. He's in Argestes wearing that incredible turtleneck. And then he shows up incredible. sniffing lavender after a cheese plate in Paxos. And yeah. I don't know, you know more, way more now about blocking and scheduling the shooting of a, of a television show in one town in New Mexico. <laughs> imagine yeah. doing this globetrotting thing. I have to imagine that a lot of it comes down to the nimbleness of, I, I mean, I have to imagine that a lot of the shooting is like, yeah, we've got a couple camera people and we're, we're doing a lot of available light or, or whatever. And they can kind of run and gun a little bit. Well, they get, I mean, they get at least twice as many days per episode as, as we got, um, you know, prior Patrick get eight days an episode. I think that HBO gets anywhere from 14 to 20 days an episode. So that, that helps. Um, but, you know, they can't just have a splinter unit in Scotland. They have to have a production. You know, they have to have a full committed block there. And so I guess they get their scripts done and they figured out Europe versus America or whatever. The thing that I'm really interested in, just from an industry standpoint, and I'll, I'll ask around and figure this out, is also who gets to be in the regular cast. Because Arian is in the cast. Rob Yang plays, uh, the, you know, the former head of Volter is in the regular cast. Not huge parts of the season by any stretch. Um, not that they weren't fantastic when they were on set, um, but generally being in the regular cast means you get a regular fee episodically, and then you're locked out and you can't do other things. So one of the reasons why someone becomes regular cast is because they that means that they're spoken for, they're in first position to your show, right? right? But are they really paying people who are only in three episodes for every episode? I mean, it's it is it is waste our Royco level uh, uh, expenditures, which God bless them. It all makes it worth it, but it's fascinating. For me to think about now, just the the you know the investment on all levels that they're making in a show like this, and frankly, for me, it pays off. Yeah, well, it's it, 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 and the it's level pay- of detail is so rich. I think it's going to pay off for them next year during awards season. I, I think obviously you can kind of I, I don't know numbers wise whether the show has uh, increased its viewership 
significantly. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I feel like this is going to be the next show that is just, is just like an awards like I, I think so too, because obviously I love it. I think it deserves it. But I also think if we're going to get a little bit into that awards game, um, prognosticating, this feels like a show that the TV Academy will want to reward. It is on HBO, which is a safe place for them uh, to, to you know, heap laurels upon. It's not on a streaming service that can be considered by some members to be an existential threat. It is a big, shouty, um, macho, and, and I, I mean that in all senses, uh, drama. You know, and, and so the actors can look at it and be like, here's some of our best people doing great ensemble work. Writers can look at it and be like, this is so clever, it's so funny, I wish I could contribute to this. It's well-directed, it's crisp, the values are high. It's definitely poised, especially because, as we've been saying for the last few years, there's kind of a drama vacuum. People, because of the nature of the TV field, it's hard to say, like, what is worthy of being the one, and Game of Thrones was de facto the one because it was the most popular and the biggest, and it was the one thing everyone, probably all voters at least, watched, right? So, yes. I mean, it, that feels like a cynical take when really what I want to say is this is the best drama on TV, and I'm really going to miss it next week. It, it's, it's, it's pretty wild that the best drama on TV is also the funniest show on TV. It, it happened before. That's Mad Men was that way as well. It just makes me so happy that it's happening again. Okay, talk to me a little bit about El Camino because I don't want to keep you for too long. Okay, I don't want to... I don't even know if this is going to be spoilery. I feel like people who care a lot are probably Yeah, let, let's just do um, from now... Like, we, If you haven't watched El Camino yet and you want to hear more about Succession, you should just skip to the second half. So I, I want Greenwald to be able to, to cook with fire here. Well, I, I don't want to... I, 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 I'm setting my... I mean, cook with fire and like you're allowed to say what happened in the movie. Yeah. Okay. But even so, I found the whole thing kind of confounding and yet also strangely logical. And what what I mean is these guys know what they're good at. And by these guys, I mean Vince Gilligan, Michael Slovis, the the actors, the production, Melissa Bernstein, the great producer of all of these Breaking Bad shows, the crew that they have, and they're so particularly loyal to Albuquerque. They know what they're good at. And so I think some of our statements, I think I thought that when it, when they announced they were doing this project six years later, and that it was a movie, and I heard they were filming in different locations, I thought that this was maybe going to be a chance to stretch their wings, right, and tell a different kind of story, particularly because I felt like they would have to, almost, because Jesse Pinkman is such a reactive character. He was never the lead of the show. And all of the people that he was you know, reacting to that we enjoyed his reactions to were gone, whether died or moved on or wouldn't make sense chronologically since this was picking up after he left. So I kind of thought, especially when I was hearing that it was a Western, that this would pick up sometime after the escape and maybe he's living in a new town and it's like the fugitive or like a, a Western in a different sense, right? Like you would have a family to protect or something. But the truth is what these guys do best is logic. They do the next thing, right? Everything that they do is granular. We used to joke about the doc review on Better Call Saul and everything. So of course, this show, the El Camino would pick up literally the next second from the last time we saw him and deal with how does he avoid cops rushing to the compound. Of course, it would have methodical, meticulous, considered flashbacks to fill in holes of story like puzzle pieces we didn't know we were missing, right? It's what they do best. And so if you consider it that way, you have to consider it a success. But I can't help but think that it wasn't essential. It doesn't mean it shouldn't have been made. It doesn't mean people can't take pleasure from it. But I'll just say in terms of my own fandom of things, one of the things that I love most about Jesse's end in the Breaking Bad end was that it was so unlike Breaking Bad. It was glorious. It was ecstatic. It was messy. And it was open. And it felt great that a show that was so uh, worried over down to the smallest detail could leave something like that sloppy and crazy. It was almost as if he was escaping the doomsday clock machinery of the show itself. And it was such a great, that was such a great personality test when that happened, because I I feel like 50% of my friends were like, oh, it's so amazing that Jesse got away. And then 50% were like, he gets caught five seconds after the show ends. Like he, that, yeah. He's out, he's free, but he'll never be free, you know? He, he, that that character, you know, was kind of the free radical or, you know, when compared to the 
you know, the, the, the chemically exacting Mr. White. So I love that the show allowed for that little, little bit of chaos to infect its super lab. And then to go back to it and sort of place it under the same strictures and rules. And now we understand about the low jack and we understand about the money and the TikTok of it was surprising, you know, and, and, and particularly surprising when you see the kind of filmmaker Vince Gilligan has become and the beautiful lighting and the things that he was able to do with the time he had, taking full advantage of locations that um, I recently fled. That you know uh, very well, yeah. I, I kind of, yeah, well, there was one actor who uh, was in El Camino and is in uh, Briar Batch, which was a nice surprise to see. Yeah. Um, that... Uh, uh, that actor is Brian Cranston. Sorry. <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I found myself wishing for widescreen storytelling to match the widescreen cinematography that they did, as opposed to just that, that excruciating TikTok of pulling apart an apartment. You know, I, I was, yeah, I, I, it's, it's funny to talk about it because you can be so admiring of something. And yet ultimately, yeah, I think it, it, it left me a little bit cold. Um, not unappreciative, but a little bit cold. And Sean and I talked a little bit about this on Friday, and I, I think I, I was curious to know, because even though you're making TV, I don't think you are as watching television industry stuff and looking at TV Twitter like all day long the way you probably were three years ago or something. But mm-hmm. did you feel like the secrecy around the show or around the movie led you to believe that something game-changing was going to happen in the movie and if you were told, you know, we never really got to properly say goodbye to Jesse. He drove off into the night and he never got to say goodbye to some of the people in his life. He had to, he was just hit, he, we hit eject. So what we want to do is properly end the Jesse story. And that involves what happens, how does he get out of Albuquerque? Like, do you think that if they had given you more, you would have had a feeling like, you, you, that, 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 the question about whether it would have been necessary or not would have been taken off the table. I think that's probably, I think that's probably right. I mean, everything about, everything about TV in general is breaking every rule that we thought to be uh, sacrosanct, but particularly the way that these guys approach things and, and ha- has confounded us time and time and again, and that's fine. You know, I think we, we were concerned trolling before Better Call Saul, and Better Call Saul turned out just fine. You know, um, I think I definitely came into it with the expectation of if you manage to do the most rare thing in the world, which is beautifully stick the landing, as they say, like you a, a universally beloved finale. Why would you go back to it unless you had something wild to do or say yes. about it? Yeah. But that's not how they operate. Nothing. You know, they're so methodical in the most beautiful and creative way. Really, what 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 clearly what Vince Gillen wanted to do is what you just said. He wanted to make two more episodes of Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. like like episode you know episode six A and six B from the last season, because that's what this was. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just absolutely you're right. It flies in the face of what we thought would be would inspire a trip back. Yeah, and I I think that different people have different relationships to the show. We talked a little bit about this on Friday about I always loved Breaking Bad deeply. But and I cared about mm-hmm. the characters quite a bit, but I didn't have the relationship to the show that maybe I had even to something like Friday Night Lights, where I was almost like, you know, uncomfortably invested in certain characters from Friday Night Lights to have their mm-hmm. lives work out mm-hmm. okay. Whereas with Breaking Bad, I think I I I almost looked at it much more from a, a, like a perspective of of it being a, sus, a act of suspense and 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 about grinding down the nerves of the viewers and the characters at the same time. So the the heartfelt kind of goodbye, the romanticism about Jesse, I I which I I super appreciate and understand people's attachment to him. I I was kind of like this is this takes it out of the sort of continuum of what Breaking Bad was for me. I feel the same way. I think that the brilliance of Breaking Bad was the way it, and I think this is also one of the reasons why it's so universally acclaimed and beloved, is that it it moved in one direction. You know, with a remarkable intensity and pace, it moved in, you know, it was a straight line, an elevator straight down uh, towards, you know, we didn't know exactly how it would end, but we knew what was inevitable about the criminal enterprise and also Walter White's own 
health and morality, right? This is not a show. And I would say the same thing about breaking about Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul is also a show that has an ending. And the story is being filled in in between in really wonderful and creative and surprising ways. It's not one of those shows that I particularly feel could go sideways. And by sideways, I mean tell a, tell a story that gets, gets wider as opposed to just going up or down. Mm-hmm. Succession, by contrast, I'm not saying it's a better show, but Succession could do an entire episode about the crew on the yacht or Tom's interaction with them. Who's the guy, Julius, who needs to go find another cove? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it is a story <laughs> machine in a different way. Yeah. Similarly, Mad Men could go sideways in all sorts of interesting ways and find something emotional or strange or digressive or surprising uh, for Ant Lights as well. Breaking Bad stands out from those shows. It's one of the reasons why it stuck the landing and why it has such fierce fandom, particularly now that it exists just in the streaming universe where you can just binge and binge and binge and be done. Right? It was never a story where I was particularly interested in the day-to-day life of Skinny Pete. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so to make a project that essentially is a sideways story felt, you know, I, I don't, indulgent sounds like a judgmental word. It's not. I mean, we're all how great, you know, <laughs> what a great moment <laughs> in culture that they get funded to do it and we get to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. But, I, but, but I do think that we were probably we probably hung the wrong frame on it before it came out. Yeah, and through no fault of our own. I think that I think I think Better Call Saul taught us to expect the unexpected and taught us that you know these things temporarily like from the past into the future are all all have this sort of thematic unification that I I I think I thought that El Camino was going to go in that same direction or like you were saying was going to be an absolute like nail-biting thrill ride car chase movie for two hours but instead it was at once that and also a meditative kind of farewell letter totally but think about better call Saul for all the things we like about it for all the things we enjoy about it for all the things we admire about it what is the one thing we and i and i say we in this case not just general audiences because people are free to to disagree with me that's a new feeling i have by the way now that i'm not a critic um you and I, as we, I think, agree on this, which is what's the one thing we care about? And the thing we care about is Kim. Yeah, yeah. Kim is the only person whose future is unwritten and feels dangerously dependent on Jimmy slash Saul. Everyone else, I mean, it's so absurd in a way that we're so engaged by a show in which the two leads have their end dates, right? We know what's going to happen to them, except for, all, I mean, there's the genes and a bunch of stuff, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, yeah. And in a Kim's not in Breaking movie, Bad. That can't be good, right? And in a two, but in a two-hour movie, there simply isn't time, like there is in a TV show, to introduce those new characters that you might care about. Thus, sort of, you know, contradicting this idea I had that Jesse would be living in Yuma, waiting on a train or whatever. Um, <laughs> there just wasn't time to do it. So instead, we had these sort of—I don't want to say narratively inert, but really more just sort of wistful flashback scenes that didn't teach us too much. It was just nice to see pals again. Well, you know, I, I am obviously obsessed with Better Call Saul now. And as as a few eagle-eared listeners pointed out from the Friday pod, I have probably not been like championing that show for as as long as I kind of thought I, I, I had. And a lot of that we is break. when Saul moved one step closer to Breaking Bad, it, it kind of clicked in for me in a big-time way. Whereas before, where it was like, I and I think the show had its adherence in the earlier seasons in a way that I hadn't really appreciated. But it it was interesting talking to Sean because Sean was like, I didn't really care for Breaking Bad for the first few seasons, or I was sort of indifferent towards it, and then it clicked in. It, it's interesting that both of those shows have had, at a certain point, like the throttle gets gets pulled down. Well, that's because Sean doesn't care about human frailty. <laughs> that's true. Sean, Sean, <laughs> Sean just likes. Sean just likes action set pieces, right? That's right. He only cares. <laughs> he only cares about the uh, the execution of a huge. huge when, it, when, it, when it was about Walter White, troubled family man, you could take it or leave it. But once, once Eisenberg started rocking and rolling, that's right. No, right. I mean, it, 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 I mean that's that's the beauty of the long running series, though, versus a, a two hour movie, is that someone has an idea of where you are in the story, but you don't quite know yet, and so you don't have your bearings, which can be excruciating when you don't trust the driver, but when. But when you've, you know, you've accepted that you've bought a ticket on the ride and you're, you're on your way, that's one of the most fun things imaginable. And just to bring it back quickly to succession, um, our old Grandland colleague, uh, Mark Harris, tweeted something yesterday that I just thought was so right on and it's in my head. 
which is that he, like all of us, have no idea how much stories Jesse Armstrong or HBO feels are in succession. I imagine everybody feels like we're in it for the long haul now. But he was saying that after last night, that felt so much like the end of the second act of a three-act play. I agree with, yes, that um, is incredibly astute. I don't know. I, it's yeah. such a cool thought. I mean, you could have succession season six where Shiv has been running Waystar Royco for several years, but I don't right. know that the version of this show where everybody is trying to kick Logan off the top of the mountain is going to be much longer than another season. It's a cool idea. I mean, you know, we, we I just said that I, you know, that, that that succession might be an Emmy favorite because it's somewhat old fashioned in its presentation or at least familiar. Nothing could be more exciting than if it was secretly kind of radical all along and was telling yes. us a three act Logan Roy story and then did a time jump. Well, the, for the sake of AT&T's bottom line, I hope they don't keep doing this show because it's costing them a billion dollars a year. <laughs> Seriously, my <laughs> bill just went up well while I was talking to you on it, but it was worth it. Uh, Andy, I'm going to let you go. We're going to go into the uh, audio from me and Jason's after show, Number One Boys. Uh, Andy and I will be back on Thursday. Uh, does that sound right to you? Oh, boy, it sounds great to me. I, I would love to be in a room with you, not um, pacing in a parking lot, which is my other office right now. That's before I go back in very El Camino of you. All right. Peek at, peek at episode six through the cracks in my fingers. All right. I'll talk to you soon, man. Great job, Bransky. Bye. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by LaCroix Sparkling Water. LaCroix Sparkling Water was developed to give health-conscious consumers refreshment, flavor, and sparkle with an innocent twist of zero calories, zero sweeteners, and zero sodium. Enjoy LaCroix Sparkling Water, a calorie, sweetener, and sodium innocent beverage with nothing artificial. LaCroix flavors are derived from natural sources with natural fruit essences. Their newest flavor, hibiscus, is delicious, crisp, and refreshing, just like other flavors that include... I mean, let's let's go through my LaCroix power rankings. Let's take Plain Out, which is a, a steady love of mine. I love grapefruit. I love passion fruit. And coconut is sick. So hibiscus, you're in you're in tough competition there. LaCroix family also includes six bolder LaCroix curate flavors like Pina Fraise, Kiwi Sandita, which is Kiwi watermelon, Palm Baya, which is apple berry, melon pomelo, which is cantaloupe and pink grapefruit. Are you, what are they, mad scientists? Who's just smashing cantaloupe and pink grapefruit together? The newly added flavors to the Nicola theme include coconut cola, Cubana, and coffee exotica, all of which contain no caffeine or alcohol, only naturally essenced flavor. LaCroix sparkling waters and LaCroix curate sparkling waters are gluten-free, vegan, kosher, non-GMO, Whole30 approved, and environmentally friendly. LaCroix cans are perpetually sustainable and recyclable. Look... I know what to tell you, man. Sparkling water is amazing. But LaCroix takes sparkling water. Because when you're drinking LaCroix, you're like, no sodium. Good for the environment. And I can't, I couldn't even come up with the next mad scientist flavor they're going to offer up. So it's like you're on the edge of your seat waiting to find out what new fruits are going to get smashed together in this delicious, sodium-free, calorie-free sparkling water package. LaCroix is a healthier alternative for you and your lifestyle and is available nationwide. For more information and a full list of retailers, visit LaCroixWater.com and join the LaCroix community on social. Get at them on social at LaCroix Water. Hello and welcome to Number One Boys, a succession after show from The Ringer. This is Jason Concepcion. Yeah. I am Chris Ryan. We are here to talk about the season two finale of Succession. Thank you for waiting for us. Uh, let's get into our thoughts about the finale. Oh my gosh. Because you had basically uh, a kind of slapstick screwball yeah. hour on a boat. I'm on a boat. That ended with like Shakespeare p- power moves so, in yeah, the family. Circular firing squad uh, involving every member of the Roy family inner circle plus uh, the C-suite ex- execs, 
all trying to insert knives into each other's fronts. Yeah, in, they, they were sitting right there as they just were like, going in. Hey, uh, no big deal, but like, I think this person is bad and probably should take, you know, like t- totally emotions uh, out of it, but like, what if we just threw this person I love board? Kendall's caveats about like, you know, <laughs> laboratory <laughs> thinking, right. no emotions, no emo- emotion. you're dead. Yeah. Um, I want to present like a working theory of what I think just happened. You're talking about the the turn at the end when Kendall... uh, Yeah, but also just sort of like an umbrella theory. Not even like a theory like what it means, but just so much of this season has taken place in between episodes. We didn't get to see a lot of the plotting and scheming that we did in season one, for better or for worse. And I think that basically this is where we're at. And we'll we'll see whether season three, which I think Mm -hmm. is a near certainty lock guarantee to come next year... But the theory basically is that Kendall and Shift hatched some form of this plan mm-hmm. in some way at the end of Safe Room. If you guys remember in Safe Room at the end, that's where Shiv kind of confronts Kendall and is like, why are you dad's basically blood boy right, right. now? And Ken is like, this is, I cannot tell you. Right. And Shiv kind of presses him and is like, is it going to be you or are you going to be the next CEO? And remember, he says that great line. He's, it's not going to be me. It ain't going to be me. Um, it's alluded to this, this, and and at the end of that, he's like, if you become the CEO, if you take over this business, it please look out for me because right. I don't know what I am if I'm not this. Yeah. We don't really touch on it that much until the end of the return, when they're flying back from London, and Shiv calls Kendall while he's on the plane, and Rhea's on the plane with uh, Logan, and she says, you know, that we may have a problem, mm. we may have to change our timing or something like that. But there is an allusion to the idea that Kendall and Shiv have been working together. Now, all through this time, to the family, Kendall and Shiv still look like the same Mm -hmm. pair of vipers that they've always been, kind of snipping each other's heels, insulting one another, blocking one another's progress. But I guess that the idea here is that they are going to spin Logan around like a top for a while, and then right as it gets up against the shareholders meeting, set him up to push one of them out probably Kendall, mm-hmm. and Kendall will take the heat but bring Logan down with him. Now, Kendall comes out, does the press conference, says, my father was fully aware of the cover-ups and cruises. We have signed documents that Greg gave me. We have no idea when Greg and Kendall started officially working together, whether it's on the plane or whether it's way before when Kendall's buying Greg apartments. But essentially, the next shooter drop is, does Shiv know about Kendall's what Kendall did during her mm. wedding night, when when or if Logan will reveal that, and whether the grand design is Logan thinks that he's just taking down Kendall, but what he's doing is setting up Shiv. So when he brings down Kendall, Shiv steps in. Um, I like it a lot. I have a few qualms just because I'm not sure how good, like how good an actor is how good an actor is Ken? That's a great question. Uh, this is, is, this is, is the he, only problem with not showing is, it to us, right? Is he, is, is all these like beaten dog acts moping mm-hmm. around, eyes welling up with tears, you know, Roman saying, are you okay, bro? Yeah. You know, like that, uh, just look, looking traumatized all the time. Is that all a put on? How much of that is a put on? Uh, I, just a devil's advocate. No, do it, yeah. There's all these uh, kind of interstitial scenes throughout the the series where, uh, you know, post safe room and in and around there where you see Ken on a plane or wherever and he's just looking at documents. Crushing he's documents. Cu- yes. Crushing yes. documents all the time. Always in the film room. Um, Greg saved like two printouts. Absolutely. Max Absolutely. Of the... Who knows? Maybe fifty that he randomly grabbed while randomly Tom was grabbed for a lighter. out of like yeah twenty legal boxes of documents. He grabbed maybe twenty, and of those twenty that then got burned, he saved maybe two. Um, is that all? So I feel like Ken must have more than that to go this route. And then my other thing is, um, it really feels like. Shiv is taken aback at this because Ken ha- kind of has. Do you her. think that's a sincere reaction that she's having? I, 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 this I is, you could be totally right. I don't know. I, I do like your theory. My, my, my devil's advocate working theory would be Ken this whole time is thinking, my dad's going to kill me. I don't want that to be the case, but I think he might. I think he will, but I love him, but I want to please him. But in case he does, 
I have to be ready to and go. And maybe even co- sincerely to balance the scales right. for what I did on Shiv's wedding night. I deserve this. Right. Uh, on some level, I deserve it. But just in case it happens, I'm going to gather all this material. And then when that's proved true, he is truly devastated by that because he didn't, while he expected it, he also is shocked that it actually happened. Yes. And when he goes nuclear, he knows that he's likely costing his siblings potentially costing his siblings their fortunes. And also, I mean, he has Shiv, he has Shiv dead to rights too in the sense that he could say, well, uh, Shiv Roy claims to be, uh, you know, this kind of like progressive forward thinking person, uh, pressured a witness into changing her, into not testifying before Congress. Right. Uh, how does that look for her? I, I do think the shoe to drop is. What does Shiv know? What does Shiv know about right. what Kendall did? Yeah, and I think that that, that is, that is like the major question. And we're, the fact that we're asking this question at yeah. all, the fact that we're in the dark about this stuff, is different than where we were last season. For sure. Last season, everything was very much on the all above board. It was Kendall is making these moves against his father. We saw all his machinations. Yeah. Then we saw his, you know, and he would, you know, pretty much against his will, get dragged into certain things like bachelor parties yeah. or weddings, even though he was ostracized from the family. And then he slight, kind of slowly comes back. And then after killing a guy or being involved in a being guy's death. Being involved in the death of a he, <laughs> he comes back soaking wet. Logan brings him in and knows that he has this unbelievable blackmail over his son and can make him ultimately take pay the, the ultimate price for mm-hmm. it. But I do think that we are led to believe that th- lots of stuff is happening off screen. And we're going to talk sure. about this throughout this episode sure. of One Boys, where you see characters make pretty significant changes in their behavior from episode to episode without a ton of exposition about why that's happening. So we can kind of get into that stuff by getting into yeah. buy or sell. And uh, Jason, what's your first buy this week? Um, taking the initiative. We okay. talked about this a little last uh, last episode where you know, the, the Roys and the people involved with them, Gregory, Carl, Frank, are in this situation, Jerry, where it's kind of like the first one who flips has the initiative. Yes. And uh, I th- you saw Ken do that. Ken realized he was about to be thrown overboard. So he's going to be the one. He's going to be like uh, Han Solo in the canteen. He's going to shoot first. Right. Um, and I think that that is, that's where you are right now. If you're not, if you were not, everybody on that yacht should have been thinking, okay, how do I go first and kill everybody in this room so it's not me that ends up being thrown Yeah, there's a really interesting moment because obviously Logan does something very funny where he's like, well, it should be me. And everybody says, no! No, 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 Dad, no. And then immediately after they've gotten that kind of act of selflessness out of their systems, just just like cut, 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 cut. Now, in the taking the initiative part, what did you think of Shiv selling out Tom? I mean, it was absolutely. But was it theater? I think it it was a kind of theater that revealed more than it intended to, honestly. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, it, of course it was theater, and she will say that to Tom. Oh, you know, like I had to say that to Dad. You can't give him the thing. You can't tell him what you... Uh, it, characters have said this throughout this, this season. You can't tell him what you think. You have to tell him something else first. Yes. Right. And then try and backdoor what you think in there. Because yeah, that's he, what, what does Jerry say? It's a show trial. We're trying to get the entire Politburo on board for one person. So, yeah, I think that she, I think that it was for show, but it was also f- clearly for real. Now, uh, my first buy is Super Yachts. This show oh, never, never ceases to amaze. Teak on the deck. In coming up with different contained, isolating spaces for people to be stuck with one another. And it was there was also a little element of survivor going on with like Jamie Laird getting voted off the island <laughs> there. Uh, that was an incredible moment where Roman just kind of like cuts Jamie's throat there yeah. because Jamie's due to make a huge commission if that sale to the to the private wealth royal family of unknown country. Uh, Turkey kind of. Kind of, yeah. Uh, like a little too on the nose there. Yeah. Uh, so I really love the setting on the yacht this week, not only because it was gorgeous and hilarious for rich people shit, but also like... Very, like, you can't get off. And if you have to get off, it's like you want to go riding around finding the cove without the sea urchins. What an amazing scam Succession is running on everyone, oh on God. HBO. on the Like, let's go to Scotland for an unknown amount of time. If and I'm like De let's Niro. go to a yacht yeah. in Greece and shoot. Any actor should be like, get me on a 
every week I'm on succession bit right. because that way I just get to go to the nicest places in the world yes. and do like five five scenes of improv. Uh, so that I'm buying yachts. Jason's buying, t taking the initiative. What are you selling? I'm selling uh, circular firing squads. It's it was just a terrible. It was a terrible look in that that lunch meeting with Logan where he's just like, okay, you know, like let's just talk about it. Which one of you dies? Um, that's the thing, clearly though, this is what Logan likes. Think of Boar on the Floor. Think of like putting Roman in a dog cage. Uh, think of the way he puts Tom up uh, for a job that somebody already has, mm -hmm. that's already held by a person. And he Peach says he does this every four years. He does it every four years. He likes to put people in a cage and have them fight to the death. Yes. Um, and it's just a bad system. That's all. It's, it's a bad system, but it might be the only road to his heart. Yeah. Because at the very end, that's a great point. The last shot of Logan is him smiling for finally making his actual success. Yeah. He that my son's a killer. Finally. He, he might put Kendall in jail. Shiv might become the, the CEO. Roman could come from outside of nowhere. There might be a new character right. in the third season that we don't even know about who comes through. Stewie and Sandy could be back. I don't even know, but yeah, he knows that in that moment. He made Kendall into the thing that Kendall could yeah. never live up to being. Um, my selling, I'm selling certainty. Because oh, that's nice. the thing that this show kind of, I think that the, the thing that makes this show so dramatic is that there's nothing certain about any of these relationships, whether you're married, whether that's a father-son, a brother-sister, mm -hmm. lifelong friends, whatever it is. You also don't even know who people are all the time. Yeah, that's true. Because I think one of the things is, is Succession has expanded its purview and also follow different characters deeper, whereas last season it was mostly Kendall, I think, Yeah, is we see this great kind of uh, transformation of Roman into this incredibly shrewd, competent yeah. uh, operator. We see Kendall, is he using? Is he really, really using? Yeah. Or is he just like socially using? Is Naomi good for him? Right. Is she bad for him? Seems like she's bad for him. It seems like at some times, but it, what was that whole thing with Logan being like, Get her out of here because right. I don't want you fucked up on drugs. Right. But then when she leaves. Yeah, he's like, what, why does she? Yeah. Yeah. Are we good? Yeah. And that yeah, was right. like a strange moment. So yeah. there's a lot of like uncertainty with that kind of stuff. And I think that that really came out a lot in Tom and Shiv's oh, yeah. marriage, which is, I understand Shiv marriage. being like, I've got this very politically expedient relationship that this, this like, bread and butter, middle America guy who's going to run the news division and right. I'm going to be this person. He's clearly inferior to me in every way yeah. and also like almost achingly ambitious and, and needing to please people and so I can control this relationship completely. So what did you think of the beach scene? The scene where Shiv and Tom are on the beach and she's reading Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney, which I get is very, very funny that she's doing that, but is like, is that very Shiv? It does... <laughs> You know, I I feel like it is very Shiv. A lot of this end of the season is kind of like Shiv being exposed as a kind of like B-level strategist and mastermind. You know, like a yeah. lot of her ploys kind of being peeled back for what they are. And I think, um, you know, that really very uncomfortable conversation with Tom in their stateroom where he's like, you know, like I kind of don't want to do a three-way. Such a funny scene. We said, I, maybe we could have sex and she could just lock herself in the bathroom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, I think is, is, um, it, it is really kind of like indicative of, of Shiv, Shiv being s exposed for kind of like being not really a great person. Counterpoint. Yeah. Not to disagree with you. Sure. I'm not disagreeing with you, but is she just exactly like Logan? Oh, yeah. They all are. Is she, just, is she are... just basically trying to torture Tom into doing what she wants. 100%. My, the one that I'm consistently surprised by in this episode is Roman, who now all of a sudden is like, not, I'm gonna tell my dad the truth. I have an opinion, I'm confident in right. it, and I'm gonna say it in front of this, in this room of total heavyweights. Um, I'm gonna stand up for Jerry, right. who I'd, he's in love with her, but I'm, I'm gonna stand up for Jerry and not let her get, get fired. Um, I'm all of a sudden like, hey, can we all go to family therapy so we can like talk like <laughs> normal people? Um, the growth of Roman is really, it's almost like, wait, where did this guy come from? Yeah, and I mean, I think that you were supposed to intuit that the experiences that he's had over the course of the season culminating in 
him being taken hostage. Sure, like almost thinking you're gonna die <laughs> yeah. is Has a like life changer for sure. Hardened him and made him, he's grown a lot from the guy who blew up a satellite. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a great look for him. Uh, so those are our buys and sells. For our number one boy of the episode, I thought it was a Shiv season. I thought it, Shiv was going to be the defining character this yep. season. I thought that they were doing the, each season's going to be about one of the kids. It seemed perfectly set up for Roman to be the kid next year. Yeah. But it goes back to Kendall. Uh, Kendall is the differentiator of this show. Literal mic drop. Unreal Actual scene. mic drop at the end of this episode and totally thrilling. You could, you could kind of feel it coming, but when he says, but... And then lets it sit there, and then there's that like shot of Carolina getting worried yeah. and everybody getting worried. It's just like, oh, yeah. And, and we when, have a little bit of like evidence that he can do that because of how good he is at the hearings. Yes, just when he just you know much like uh, much like uh, Carl says about Roman, you should put a gun to his head uh, more. I think you know put a gun to Kendall's head, and he's just ready to he'll he'll show you something that's that you didn't think he had in him. Um, I thought that the, uh, I thought that the, like, the actual setting in a press conference. Yeah. Man, that's such a great, great setting for, like, mic drop scenes like that. Like, you remember, like, American President, where yeah. he walks in, and he's just like, <laughs> I'm here to apologize for nothing! Yeah. You know, like, you should apologize! And it's a great bookend for this season, because it starts out, season, episode one starts yes. out with, like, a very forced... That's a great point. ...with Kendall coming out of, like, his, uh... Norwegian or Icelandic rehab to kind of like do a news hit to to steady the the shareholders yes. that he is completely unready for, but manages to find the steel to like get it done, and it's also um, a great mirror scene of the season one charity ball scene where Logan still shaky after whatever it is mm -hmm. he's been going through um, preempts. Ken's speech in which he's going to announce, like, uh, you know, I'm, uh, like, really take the reins of Waystar. And Logan instead makes a speech where he's like, I'm stronger than ever and I'm in control. Yes. Um, so really interesting, like, mirror moments. Let me ask you. So we get to, because we're going to get into Biggest Burn and Line of sure. in just a second. But so we get to the end of this and we're saying Kendall's the number one boy of the episode. And I mean, with that mic drop moment, you could argue the season. Yeah. Um, does it track with you with the guy who does Elder the OG two weeks before or a week before, whatever? Does it track with you for the guy who almost takes off in a helicopter that he doesn't know how to fly with Naomi in, uh, in what is it, Turnhaven? Yeah. Uh, you know, do, do, you, do you understand where he's been to where he's going this season? I think I and do. does it matter if you don't? I, I think I do, even though I'm sure that I precisely don't. I just think that, you know, like family dynamics like this are extremely complex. And it, it tracks to me that within that family dynamic that is like extremely unhealthy and toxic, you would act one way seeking to get uh, some kind of like um, praise from a father figure while also working in a very dedicated fashion yeah. to his downfall. Yeah. Like, it makes sense to me, you know? It's like, you know, it's, Oedipus is a story that, that is like 5,000 years old. Like people, this is something that people write about and explore as these complex And ultimately, Logan family. got what he wanted. I mean, yeah. he turned actually two of his sons into killers because you see Roman just cut Laird out. You yeah. see Kendall go after Logan. And then when, when it's on the table for Shiv, yeah. she won't give up Tom. Yep. She says, don't, don't do this to Tom for me. And Logan is like, okay, then that's that's that. Even if he was always planning on doing Kendall. All right, yeah. let's get into the biggest burn of the week. I'm gonna go with Stewie. Stewie, yeah. who only had like five at bats, went five for five. It's amazing. Slugging percentage is incalculable. Uh, <laughs> here's his line as they are sitting over, over a gorgeous Greek, Greek lunch in Paxos. Beautiful, dude. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. You can threaten to stuff a million severed dicks into my ball bag, but the actual fact is we're pers persuading more and more shareholders every day that we offer them just slightly, a slightly better chance for them to make a, a little bit more money on their fucking dollar, and that's all that is. And that is both a great summary of succession for real. and capitalism. It's so great. nice job, Stewie. Great burn. Uh, mine is Logan to Khan when Khan comes around asking for just a little bit of cash. 
Because he's just not liquid. He's just not liquid right now. Uh, he's got he's got Austerlitz. He's got the campaign. The campaign is going great. The con heads are fired he's up. Spending half a million a week on this play. A week <laughs> on his girlfriend's play, and Logan says, "I heard you just five hundred k on a fake Napoleon dick." <laughs> great work. I mean, just hold on. The dick is fake. <laughs> yeah. Wait. <laughs> You want to talk about like something that happened off screen? When did that reveal come down? <laughs> did we DNA Meaning test the dick? I would pay, like just on like a <laughs> subscription basis, like pay as you go. Let me get the scene where Connor finds out it's fake. The dick is fake? I would also do like a Birdman of Willa's opening yeah. night. Just <laughs> FYI. Uh, let's go to line of the week. That was Bird of the Week. Let's go yeah. to line of the week. You go for it. Oh, I just, you know, Greg is very hesitant to take off his shoes because he's got a nail fungus problem. And uh, Ken and Naomi are teasing him and Ken says, sales out, nails out, bro. <laughs> Which is just an amazing, my second favorite line from Ken all season, my first being, are you like a poetess? <laughs> <laughs> you said awesome too much. Uh, I really just, we gotta acknowledge the the Tom trying to, to sack up to Logan scene. Oh, man. Where Tom comes in and eats Logan's pheasant <laughs> or whatever that, like, small bird was. And Logan's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? And then he says to Shiv, he says, he ate my fucking chicken. What's next? He sticks his dick in my potato salad? I feel like potato salad would be beneath Logan Roy. Absolutely not eating potato salad. Okay. No mayo for Logan Roy. Let's get into Finance 101, where Jason and I, all year, we've been giving you winners. All year we've been dialing up blue chip stocks. Right. Only, only the highest A-level cap stocks. What did you see this week that you feel like our audience needs explained in terms of the world of finance? Well, when Roman and Laird and Carl are laying out the sovereign wealth deal for Logan, uh, Carl says, exit horizon about six years. So what an exit horizon is... It's a Sam Neill film. Sam Neill film about uh, heading towards a black hole. Yeah in which Satan lives. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, and Sam Neill takes his eyes out, and Lawrence Fishburne's like, oh! <laughs> so, essentially, what are we talking about then? We're talking about, a, uh, we're talking about another plane of existence uh, that's just filled with demons, and yeah. the darkest kind no, of, I like, know. satanic stuff that you want. You, and you want to kind of hold that off for as long as possible. So you don't want to go there, at, like, if you... Two years too soon, six years maybe. A lot can happen in, in, in the years. Keynesian sense, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into uh, Let Them Eat Cake, the crazy rich moment of yes. the week. Stewie again. Again and again and again, Stewie! Uh, the sniffing lavender as the palate cleanser after <laughs> a, a, a beautiful Greek cheese plate. That's a god move. I had not seen that before. I, I didn't even... something. I've been to a lot of cheese shops in my life. Uh, it's a longer story that I want to get into right now. <laughs> I've never done the lavender thing. And now I'm wondering, have I been going to the wrong cheese places? Yeah. Is it, I, have I been missing out on the Paxos, like, Taverna lunch experience that I have to be a billionaire corporate raider to experience? I also, e like, the, the sort of striped shirt. Amazing What an shit. amazing thing. I, it's kind of like, you know the first time you eat at, like, a really nice restaurant or have, like, a, go to a really, like, a wealthy person's home and eat dinner or whatever, and there's, like, there's, like, 50 different utensils and you don't know what they are? Yeah. I feel like that lavender move, I didn't even know that was possible. That was, like, a, that was like Bob Beeman uh, doing the long jump. <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> that was, like, the two-hour marathon. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that you could do that. I didn't know that that was, a, that was like, you know, Eddie Van Halen finger tapping or something or you know like man walking on the moon you can you can sniff the lavender that's a move i didn't even like uh, that's what it's for is there lavender on every like restaurant table and i don't even notice and only like incredibly rich have people I know been, like you're supposed to cleanse your palate have i been that? have i been doing my garnish wrong oh what's your what's your let them eat cake moment um asking your dad yeah for just yeah i'm not liquid right now but if i can just get like a little hundred million dollars to just tide me over while because my escort girlfriend's Broadway play is tanking. Also, the sand is giving people uh, parasites. And also, I bought a fake Napoleon dick. <laughs> how, how much money at any given point does Logan have to just CTC? It's cr 100 million is 
can you just give a person? He's also million? talking fifty million to the to to Caroline. For, to Lady Caroline for the to, for the expense of, right, of the, like, her shareholder vote. Presumably he's spending a ton of money covering things up at any given moment. <laughs> yeah, and, right, also, yeah, yeah. and also is like every single like he's is he underwriting the travel for everybody who's like I know. going all over the world. Like so every single person gets pretty much a new yacht appropriate wardrobe. Yes. Transportation in Mercedes Benzes. Yes. Private driven private plane, private cars. Yes. To a private yacht with a private staff who are also down to be part of threesomes. Right. Some Constant of them. food and drink all the time. I mean, we're talking about how many millions of dollars did just that weekend cost? To I, say nothing of Turnhaven or Jesties. Well, I wish the rosé would have been better. It was the rosé yeah, was okay. It's just a, it's just a preference, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just a preference. You can't help but no, but notice. Um, let's talk a little bit about predictions for season three. Obviously, oh, man, there's going to be a season three. I don't even think they've announced it yet, but I mean, yeah. it's it's a given. Uh, this is a very successful show for HBO. Yeah, partially because like it makes people talk. And so, what are we going to talk be talking about next season? I think that the battle lines are being drawn if Shiv reveals that she is in cahoots with Lo- with Kendall, yeah. that the Shiv, Kendall versus Logan and Roman thing is is there. What do, what do you think? Um, I have two thoughts. I think there's going to be a battle on two fronts, as you noted. I think it's Ken not only fighting with his dad for control of the company, but fighting the court case that will come out after it is revealed that he was involved in the yeah, death yeah. of the waiter from Shiv's wedding. And then I think, uh, broadly speaking, I think that, uh, I think that, I think Succession's gonna win a lot of Emmys next season. It yeah, feels like, I feel like this was like, first season was like, oh, what a surprise. Second se- season is like, oh, they can really do this. Yes. And then third season is like, okay, this is this reap is, the rewards. We're now in the Mad Men, right, right. Sopranos kind of like, like crown this show place. Right. I guess like, I wonder whether or not, uh, well, if you had to j- just guess, mm-hmm. would you say that the show would be more effective if season three starts the day after the press conference, or like six months after the press? I think conference? six months after. I think it's going to be it's going to be the war is on when you come back to it. It's I like would oh, okay, and like we've we've kind of like a lot has transpired in right. between. All right, we're gonna wrap it up there. Thank you so much for watching, Number One Boys, this week. Thanks to our crew, Moe's, Ronick, Sean, and everybody for watching. For Jason, I am Chris. We'll be back next season. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by LaCroix. LaCroix sparkling water was developed to give health-conscious consumers refreshment, flavor, and sparkle with zero calories, zero sweeteners, and zero sodium. Flavors include hibiscus, mango, passion fruit, and more. They're gluten-free, vegan, kosher, non-GMO, and Whole30 approved, and they're Chris Ryan approved. LaCroix is a healthier alternative for you and your lifestyle and is available nationwide. For more information and a full list of retailers, visit LaCroixWater.com and join the LaCroix community on social at LaCroixWater on Twitter.